Welcome to another episode of uh, Don't Believe Jack. Uh, it's me, Jack Michelle. I'm here, uh, present. Uh, note that I'm present. And um, I'm doing groovy. Uh, I hope you are doing groovy as well. Uh, a lot of uh, stuff is uh, bubbling up. And... Yeah, I, I, I hope I hope things are going well. I, uh, I <laughs> uh, this week I stayed up until uh, very uh, to the wee hours of the morning uh, listening because I, I found out that on my Echo Show slash uh, Amazon listening device uh, I could listen to uh, BBC World Service, uh, which is incredible because it's just like it's all these crazy interesting stories. Around the world, which gets me super duper excited. Uh, I love uh, learning more about what's going on around the world, and uh, and it delivers. Like literally, it was like I went from a story about like Hong Kong protesters to uh, a music festival that's going on in the UK, and an interview with a with like a former child soldier turned rapper to uh, you know just this everything. It was crazy, and uh, and I was just I was so excited and sort of like. Uh, to use Ruth Bader Ginsburg's terminology, turned on, turned on, not sexually, just but just physically uh, turned on uh, by it all that I couldn't go to sleep. I was just like, oh my God, this world, it's incredible. It's like full of all these amazing things. And, you know, like there was a story about like someone uh, innovating in, in you know, uh, like crops. There was a, an interview with the guy who invented daily contact lenses and it talked about how... Um, it talked about how, uh, basically, uh, the BBC actually played a role in this by guy being able to get funding in 1990. And it talks about his sort of story of, of bringing uh, daily contact lenses to uh, the world. And it was just nuts. It was just, it was just so, like, just so many odd, interesting stories. Things happening all over the world, all the time, that totally go unnoticed. Uh, by me, it's it's quite incredible. Um, I I had this really funny experience where, you know, like the world's just like full of all this stuff, and like we're living around it constantly, and we like ignore or disregard most of it. But it's it's truly truly incredible that like you know people around the world like have entirely different experiences uh, than than I do. Uh, I remember I had this uh, this uh, I, I I sometimes like write little like gratitude list of things that have been done for me uh i use it to sort of wrap up the end of the day and sort of uh you know bookend the day I start the day with a little bit of like meditation and prayer and then i at the end of the day i i wrap it up with like thinking uh with like thanking things that were done for me and i went on this trip right i, I took a trip to the east coast and i um and uh when i got to my parents place it was just awkward i hadn't seen them in like a year and a half and it uh, it felt a little weird uh, you know, and I was just like a little anxious, a little like, I don't know what's going on. Are we supposed to like have fun immediately or am I just like here, you know, and I just, and, and also just being tired from a, from a trip. Right. And, and a little bit restless. And so I opened up my notebook and I just started writing everything, uh, that was, that I received in that day. And it was insane when I thought about it. Like here, let me, let me pull it up. Um, have it in this notebook. I'll just uh, read it to you. 
Um, what did I receive? Uh, I received a uh, airplane ride. Um, the you answer three questions when you do an icon. You answer three questions. So one of them is what did I receive? What did I give? And where did I cause difficulty? And uh, it just in terms of what I received, I wrote airplane ride. So that means that um, you had to have like a, a crew. Uh, you know, you had to have pilots who got trained, the people who support those pilots, uh, like their family members, uh, the crew, you know, the ground crew that serviced the airplane, uh, the airline for having the airplane, uh, the stewardesses, and, and you know, the, the stewards, I don't know what you call them these days, uh, the airplane attendants, and, uh, and, you know, all those people and their families, and, uh, uh, you know, I got, uh, because I was in a, a, I guess, a seat that, uh, one of the airline attendants, um, uh, said was bad. She gave me a complimentary sandwich. The sandwich was delicious. Uh, that sandwich was made somewhere. Someone baked that bread. Someone picked the lettuce. Someone picked the tomatoes. Uh, an animal, uh, you know, a turkey was, was killed, uh, so I could have the meat. It was just, I just thought about it. It's just all those things. Uh, on the plane, I watched a Trevor Noah special. Trevor Noah had to write all that material. Um, a team of people had to record um, the special for him. The audience provided laughs and like context. There were lighting people. There were music people. There were sound people. There were recording people who created the special. Um, because of Netflix, I was able to get it on my phone. I have a phone because smartphones became a thing because of a team of designers. Samsung made my particular one, but then Steve Jobs made all of these, you know, like he sort of started smartphones and that can happen because of the internet. Uh, also on the way to get to LAX from my place, I took uh, the train to a bus to the airport. Uh, so I had to get on that train. There was someone driving the train uh, I, there was someone driving the bus. There was someone who took my money for the bus. Uh, someone checked me in because of my phone. I could look up, you know, the, uh, I could look up, uh, the, the transportation directions from my place to the train station to the bus. Uh, I also was able to pull up my ticket on my phone. Uh, when I was on the plane, I listened to music from Spotify. The music was recorded by, you know, the artist and Spotify like aggregated it and gave me a way to store it offline. Uh, I was reading a book uh, from the library on the plane um, by Gabor Mate. Uh, when my brother picked me up, he my, first of all, my brother drove out to uh, to National Airport to pick me up. When I landed in Virginia, he picked me up in our parents' car. Um, when I got home, when I got you know to my parents' house in Virginia, uh, my parents gave me food and water and offered me stuff. Uh, I watched a little bit of soccer with my dad that was delivered through Verizon. Um, I, uh, watched a, a video, a fight video, like a boxing match video on all the best fights, uh, which is hosted on YouTube. Uh, you know, just all that stuff, like just all the things that I, um, that I got were pretty incredible. And, you know, it's, it's totally connected to all these other things around me. Uh, so I don't know. It's just like those, those experiences, uh, I feel like they're connected for me, at least, at least for me, you know, it's like, if I listen to something like BBC radio, it's like, I think about, oh, what's going on around the world, right? 
And then similarly, uh, you know, I think about all the things that were, and that was just one day. And I was like, okay, well, I, I guess, guess that was a pretty good day. Um, no one needs to hear me. Plenty was done for me. You know, a lot of kindness was done for me. Uh, even things I paid for, uh, which I think is an interesting thing that the book, the Nikon, uh, sort of suggests to consider that even things you pay for, you're still giving someone something. And if someone does something for you because you pay for it, well, they're still doing it for you, even if you're paying for it. Um, that certainly, I think that mentality and that attitude has a way of breaking through the, uh, I, the modern idea, which maybe is related to capitalism or Adam Smith, that, you know, if you pay for some, someone for something, you're not really appreciating them. It's just an exchange. And it's like, well, there can still be appreciation in mutually beneficial exchanges because you needed someone to exchange with. Uh, sure, they're getting value, but the fact of their existence and their presence and their willingness to engage in trade with you is a positive thing in and of itself, right? Um, I realize that when I uh, leave things I pay for out of the equation of the things I receive. Like, if I pay for a sandwich, then I that doesn't count as me receiving the sandwich. I realize I cut out a lot of the uh, the goodness in my life. Um, so, I don't know. Just, just an interesting thought. Or, I mean, interesting that... I'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's just exciting. Like, to hear about... A, like, so, I also want to talk about, like, uh, like, we've been reading more books about, like, business... And entrepreneurship, and it's just fascinating. And I mean, it's sort of in the line with uh, with the guy who invented the daily contact lens. He worked a, a contact lens company, and he basically said he was trying to figure out. He was like convinced that there was a cheaper way to make contacts, uh, and you know, basically proposed it to the executives at the contact company he was working at, and they were like, uh, "We don't think this will work." And B, if you create daily contacts. Uh, we uh, won't be able to offer cleaning supplies. We're going to lose a lot of money there because that's how we make a lot of our money. And so he quit. He decided to quit and started a uh, production, like a production process, not a factory, but like simply started experimenting with contact lenses and saw if he could make them cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And he spent like two and a half years on this. It took him much longer, I think, than he expected and he couldn't get any funding or interest initially. Um, he presented to places. People really didn't believe in the concept. Because uh, at that time, apparently, the contact lens, making a contact lens cost like 50 pounds. And he was able, He after checking his calculations, he was able to make like a contact lens for, I think he said 40 pence. Right? So it's 0.4 pounds. Like he and, and when he first did the numbers, he was like he rechecked it because he was like it cannot be that cheap. I must have made a mistake in in uh, my calculations, but he didn't. And uh, and people were still like unwilling to uh, to fund it. They just didn't. I think people were like, "There's no appetite for this. No one's going to go for this. No one's going to want it. Uh, it. It affects other parts of our business, and we don't really want to disrupt those parts of our business." All this really, really interesting stuff. And he was just doing this at home. I mean, he was in his... I think he was in his, his 50s or 60s at this point. Um, 
you know, which is also fascinating, right? Because oftentimes, you know, I think when I think of an entrepreneur, I think of someone like, you know, I think of like someone in high school, but the idea that, well, this guy's got like a ton of experience as an engineer and now he's able to bring it to bear on like a problem and he's got enough money and security to like make that happen. Just remember, this is like before the, the finance days of like VC and stuff. And even then they're investing in like tech, which probably has many, maybe perhaps more multiples, you know, than, or, or bigger returns given the money you put in versus something like, uh, versus something like, uh, you know, contact lenses. I don't know what the, what the, the market and the prices and all that stuff looks like for contact lenses. But anyways, yeah, I just thought it was just a fascinating story. And, um, and finally, I think the BBC covered him and then he was able, someone reached out, uh, for him to present, uh, his product. I think it was in London to present the product. And so he went there and like pitched it and they said, okay, we'll, we'll take 250,000. And then he had to like build a factory and go through all that stuff. And I'm like, man, that is so much. It's also like incredible when you realize like if he built that thing, like that's so much work. Right? Like, it's not the same as, like, sitting at a desk and, like, receiving assignments and then doing them and then sending them back. It's like, there are so many other things that you need to do to be productive in this process. And it's crazy. It's just nuts. So I thought that was just awesome. Um, I don't know. It's sort of in that same vein. Like, technology is just is really interesting. Like, when I, I, I recently... Uh, saw my nieces and nephew and uh, and it was funny it wasn't that big I mean it was nice to see them but it wasn't like astonishing because I can do like video calls with them right and those video calls like if we can spend as much time as we want together it's free you know it's not like you know maybe in the 90s it's like I the only way to be in touch with them would be a long distance call and they can't see my face and you know if you're three that conversation over the phone isn't going to be that interesting right but if you're three and I can see your face and you can see my face through an Echo show, we can make faces at each other. We can just, you know, I can hear them talk. They don't even have to look or make eye contact with me. They can be distracted. But if I'm looking at them, I still feel engaged and connected with them. You know, so it's just, it's really great. It's just really, it feels nice to have all these technological comforts. When I saw them, it was more like, it wasn't like seeing someone I'd never seen, you know, or being like, oh my God, you're so big now. It was like, no, no, no. They looked exactly how I thought they were going to look. And I think I looked exactly how they thought I was going to look, right? Uh, and they went back to their toys immediately. Maybe that's the downside. They went back to their toys immediately and I went back to my books immediately. But we just had that level of familiarity that I feel like technology makes possible. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't like about technology, but I have to say, like, that is incredible, right? Even with my parents, I, I do video calls with them. And so it's just not, it doesn't really feel like people are that far away. The people who I want to have close to me, they can be close to me. And that's so cool. Uh, the downside, of course, is that, you know, uh, this still is a comedy podcast, technically. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, the, the downside, of course, is uh, if you go on, like, Twitter, you have tons of people who you don't want close to you, very, very close to you. Uh, so that's, that is the flip side. But it really is all about how you use it. Uh, it's not a problem with what it is. You know? Uh, it's not the format that's the problem. It's how you use it. 
And, uh, and yeah, so it was just, I don't know, it was just cool. Very, very cool to explore um, all that stuff. And, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, technology is pretty amazing. So uh, I just read a book uh, called The uh, 80-20 Principle, and uh, I thought it was fantastic. Because it basically gets at something that, like, I've done in my own life in the last two and a half years, which is, like, or a year and a half. Like, essentially, what I've done is um, I, like, have been looking... I basically have been working this, like, this program. And in it, you're essentially looking at uh, your life and, like, how it works. And it's, like, systems. And uh, it's, like... I guess what I'm trying to say that, that basically I learned is I was just not using my time effectively. Like I was not necessarily around the people I wanted to be around. Uh, I, uh, you know, spent way too much time on things that I really weren't important to me. And I think that this book basically gets at the same idea. So the core idea is that, you know, 20% of your time uh, produces 80% of your joy or, you know, 20%, 20% of people in your life produce 80% of the joy and 20% of the people in your life produce 80% of the problems, you know, uh, and it's not like a hard set rule, but he basically said that the idea is that the inputs and the outputs are disproportionate, right? You know, uh, 20% of the things you lead, lead to 80% of your results. And he says, you know, I mean, he doesn't, he's, he's not asking you to accept that as gospel. He's, he's saying like, examine your life and see what it looks like. And I basically, I read this book only last week, but you know, over the last year, I've been looking at the things that are drivers of joy for me or, uh, enjoyment or progress. And, uh, I've mainly been looking at it through the lens of people and like interpersonal stuff. So and I realized that, like, all these people that I was, like, frustrations with or, like, long-sitting resentments against, they were just people that, if I honest, was honest with myself, I shouldn't have been around them. I should have had no business with them at all, you know? It was actually, the, the, the thing was, it was just a relationship that should have been ended, you know, maybe a couple of years prior or something like that, right? It just went on too long. And I just sort of was in autopilot. And I think the book really gets at that idea, right? That, that I'm, you know, this idea of like not accepting that life is, um, is flexible, right? And that we have choices and that I have choices, uh, about who I spend my time with. Uh, and I have agency and also like, you know, something Bob, and also I have discernment, right? Like you can actually figure out like, Oh, that relationship, that dating relationship didn't work for this reason. Okay, well, avoid situations that that situation could come up again. There's a part, and I have to say, there's a funny part of me that is probably very influenced by like a Puritan work ethic or something. But it's the idea of like, if a situation is unpleasant, I should go even deeper into it. And I should work my way through it because I'm sure it'll build my character. And it's like, no, that's no, it'll build your frustrations. Um, one of the funny lines... You know, and he said, like, you know, don't try to, like, fix all your problems, like, or your weaknesses. Just, like, you know, figure out what your strengths are and, like, keep playing to them, uh, which is a funny idea, right? Because I feel like uh, self-improvement culture can suggest that message. Obviously, this book is it's a business book. He was a former consultant at Bain and Company. 
Uh, he was a BCG. Um, you know, so it is a business book, but it's also just a book about like the person. And it honestly, it's, it was better than pretty much any self-help book I've ever read. And mm-hmm. I have read quite a few of those. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. I can't recommend that book enough. It's pretty fun. It's a pretty short read. Um, but yeah, just being efficient with stuff. Uh, it was, it was interesting, I guess. I'm, I really like some of these business books, not even just for my own like career, but I realized like a lot of these concepts or ideas are applicable in, in totally different areas of life, uh, which is dope, which is like, honestly, like really, really good to see. And you're like, Oh, this is why people read all this stuff. And also I can see that like, you know, the joke I used to make was that like business books are like, uh, self-help books. Uh, for people in suits. And, you know, I said that sort of mockingly, but I, I think it's true. And I think that in a lot of cases, they're better. Not all of them. I'm sure there's lots of bad business books out there, but I will say the ones that are good and that I've read are very, very good. Very, very good. Um, so I can't really recommend those enough. And also, right, like in a lot of cases, I think these books are good because there are practical scenarios where people are able to test these ideas. Um, there's a few self-help books I'd recommend, but really not that many. I'd recommend a lot more like history books and uh, a lot more business books in the, in the diet of someone who's trying to figure out, uh, their life, uh, which includes yours truly. Um, yeah, it's just, it just had like, I think one of the big, I mean, the idea that you should pay attention to inputs and outputs, it's not exactly like you're going to get a 20, 80 thing. It might be more like 30, 70, or it might be more like, you know, it might be more like 5 and uh, 95. Or 5% produces 80% of your results. So it also doesn't have to always add up to 100. And the book gets into this. But I realized it was true for me, you know? Like, it was funny. At the beginning of the year, I, um, without having read this book, I did this thing where I wrote down my goals for the year. And I wrote down the names of all the people who I really care about. And... Uh, the relationships that I want to deepen. And I basically said, after I wrote all of those names, I wrote, and if you don't develop relationships with anyone else, it's fine. And honestly, I think that that has, it was a small thing, but after I wrote it, I realized like, like, because essentially it was asking myself, okay, what would make this year a success? Financially, socially, spiritually, whatever, right? Romantically. And, uh, and, uh, and I wrote a list of names in my social space and I was like, okay, like it it literally took, since then, I think my life's been like so much simpler because I realized I'm like, oh, I don't need, like if I meet someone new, I don't need to make them my friend. I don't need to convince them that to be my friend. If, if we become friends, great, you know, I'll add their name to the list. But I'm under no obligation to develop any more relationships. And in fact, I'd rather deepen the relationships I have rather than develop new ones. Um, and that was excellent. That was really, really good to, uh, to, to hear. Uh, to hear myself. To hear from myself. It was really good. And I don't know. Like, it really, it really did change things. Like, I noticed, like, 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 you know, being in L.A., people are very, like, superficial and flaky. And it bothers me less. It honestly bothers me less. If someone ghosts on me, it's not a big deal. Unless you're on my list. But if you're on my list, you, you're not ghosting me. I know that. 
So it's just funny. It's it's like honestly, it's so narrow. It's it's so narrowing in the sense that I can focus and, and narrowing in a good way, right? That I can focus on the things that are really good. Uh, I read, you know, I think the eighty twenty principle gets at the same idea. Um, and I was reading uh, another book recently uh, that had a quote from this guy who's like a you know he's one of these tech entrepreneur VC guys. But he said, you know, I pick my friends. He, he basically said, I, I don't, I mean, you know, this is his take. You can disagree. But uh, but I like the sentiment. He basically said, I don't like to be friends. If, if I'm constantly finding myself in arguments with someone, I don't want to be friends with them. Uh, it's basically what he said. Because he's basically said, friends are like, friendships are like compounding interest. Right? Like, he at first, you, there's, the returns aren't that big, but the longer you go, the returns get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, he's basically like, if I get into a relationship with someone where it's like a disruptive and very jagged relationship, right? Like, that messes with my returns. And, you know, it's not so, right? It's all about quality, not quantity. Um I just thought that that was a really great point, that it really is, like, friendships really are, like, compounding interest. You know, I've recently I've been talking with, like, uh, some friends, some people from college about stuff, and I realized, like, they know me on a very deep level, and they'll do things for me. They'll make time to speak with me that other people won't, right? And so I have to choose people who are, yeah, I mean, that sounds terrible. It's not really terrible to say, but you have to choose people who are, like, good resources, like, good value, and... That's not even cynical. Like, you know, one of my best buddies, whenever I talk with him, like, I feel like I just feel so excited. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to jump up and down. I'm full of energy after talking with him. Right? And some of the people I had to sort of let go out of my life, I realized, like, we were getting into arguments. They would blame me for stuff, you know, you know, and they'd go on about, you know, how this is terrible and that is terrible. Uh, they'd make fun of me, you know, and I just realized, like, like, not even labeling it as, like, bullying or intimidation or you're insecure or whatever, I can really look at it dispassionately now and go, like, this is not a good investment. I don't know about for you, but for me, this is not a good investment of my time. And this isn't going to lead anywhere good, you know? I guess what I'm trying to say is, as over the last year and a half, as I've looked at stuff very closely... It's and, and in combination with studying more economics and finance now, um, I can see that, like, I have all these data points in my life, right? Like, I just turned 36, so I have, like, 18 years as a child and 18 years as an adult. And so I have enough data points to basically say, okay, well, that, uh, if you say this kind of comment to me now, then five years from now, the return is going to be, uh, what's that fucking terrible? Right? So, like, let me just nip this in the bud right now. Let me just, like, end this relationship right now. Because it doesn't work. Right? And then, or I could say, well, statistically speaking, right, like, based on tracking these relationships and which ones have lasted and which ones have not. Because, and that's literally what I did. I realized, like, in my head, I started looking at, like, well, what relationship yields something? And it doesn't have to yield money, but just joy, like, happiness. I want to see this person, I want to talk with them. You know, they give me encouragement or they expose me to ideas that allow me to improve my life versus the people that don't. 
and I can see like some very very clear patterns and now I'm like you know instead of fighting that and being like no you're going to be a good Christian person you're going to be a good understanding person you're going to listen to everybody I'm like no I don't want to hear that this is not a good use of my time and and this you know again like based on my personal experience this doesn't tend to end well you know once you start to see stuff like that it's like it becomes very very easy to to drop things that aren't working whereas my tendency in the past is something's not working i just need to figure out how to make it work better and now i have enough like i said i have enough data in my life of being like i spent 18 years trying to make things that didn't work better work better you know more than that to be honest right so like if it doesn't work just let it go and focus your energy on the things that do bring you joy and happiness and that's what i'm trying to do now and it's it's pretty neat so it was something i was already doing intuitively but you know to also see it sort of articulated in this book is a really really great point so anyways uh i should get going this is gonna be a short episode gotta uh, head out but um i hope you enjoyed it and uh i'll uh, i'll talk to you soon bye